This is EM Pulse with your hosts, Sarah Medeiros and Julia Magana. Grace in a pandemic. COVID-19. Yeah, I don't even know what to say. Oh, that's a first. (laughs) But it's true, Sarah. We have really struggled with what to share. What do we need to hear as a community right now? Yeah, and there are so many wonderful podcasts out there from MRAP to Foamcast and MCRIT. And of course, you get information from your own institutions and the CDC, local public health, ASAP, so on and so on. And they're all giving amazing evidence-based medical updates that change hour to hour. The amount of emails and communication right now is insane. There is clearly information overload. I know. My brain is swirling from the rapid changes in information. At the beginning of one shift, you can have one set of guidelines for testing or how to protect yourself, and it is different by the end of that shift. We wanted to take a look at COVID-19 through the eyes of impulse. In this mini-series, we want to give you meaningful tools that can be used today in this pandemic or in 18 months when we're on the flip side but have other stressors that we need to deal with on the job. So we're going to discuss tools to make challenging moral decisions like where is the balance of my fear for my family's or my own life with my obligation to my patients? Or what do I do with a crashing patient when I'm out of PPE? Other episodes in the miniseries will be a brain break from the slog of scary information, and we're going to share some poems, inspiring passages, and even a guided meditation for moments of crisis. We will also hear from experts on wellness to give you the tools you need. You know, one of the challenges of this topic is that, yes, we are all in this together, but everyone is affected very differently. Our colleagues in New York and New Orleans and Detroit are slogging through unfathomable decisions, pain, and danger. And our hearts go out to them, especially at this time. And others are struggling in very different ways. I feel like we've been preparing this for a month, Sarah. It has felt like we're going to war with our preparations, discussions, planning, and even life changes. I know our attire is different. Our routine to go to work, even come home from work is different. My ability to focus on things outside of work and at home is so drastically altered, I can hardly even put it into words. But yet, COVID-19 has not hit us in Sacramento in the same way. We are in that lull before the storm, where a lot of local emergency departments are even cutting physician hours. Clearly, this is an unprecedented time in modern medicine. Unless you're in the military or you've been the provider during a mass shooting, you probably have not made the decision of which patient gets the last ventilator or how long should I leave a patient without breathing while I put on my PPE. Those types of decisions are horrifying to contemplate over the prolonged period that is a pandemic. It's one thing to think of these things for a few hours after a mass casualty event, and it's another to deal with them for weeks or even months that this pandemic can affect our communities. Right. And that's why I wanted to talk to Wendy Lau. Wendy is an emergency medicine physician who specializes in wellness and medical ethics. She is a yoga teacher, meditation teacher, and all-around well-rounded physician who is currently taking off time from clinical work to train in Zen at the Upai Zen Center. She's learning to teach wellness and meditation practices to physicians. 
So, Sarah, I knew Wendy is volunteering her time counseling physicians during this stressful period, and I wanted to hear what kind of stressors she's hearing from emergency medicine providers. Well, there's a lot of stressors that are happening. I've been speaking with emergency physicians for the last few weeks, and things are changing so fast that everyone is very stressed about just keeping up and um, being able to serve our patient populations the best we can. But one of the main stressors I've seen is just taking care of ourselves and being worried about bringing you know, the virus back to our families or being sick ourselves. That's a main stressor. The other main stressor, though, is one that we don't really talk about very well as physicians. We've never really trained or have had education about this. And the situation right now is really bringing out this kind of stress, which is the stress of moral distress, especially because there are so many sick patients and there's limited resources that really attenuates this stressor by many, many fold right now. And we have no language to talk about it. So one of the biggest thing that people are stressed about is not being able to treat our patients the way we really, really want to. Okay, so what exactly is moral distress? Yeah, exactly. I had the same question. I hear this term a lot, but I wanted to know what that term actually means. So let me give you an example. So yesterday I talked to a colleague in Brooklyn. Um, She works at SUNY Downstate, where I trained. And she was talking about how all the staff, not just the ED docs, but the nurses, the techs, the respiratory therapists, they're all so stressed out because they see that their patients are suffering alone. Because we can't let families and friends in. So they just see these older, or not even older, but any patient in the ED who's really sick but have no one there for them. And that's a really big source of distress for a lot of the staff. And this is an example of moral distress. Yeah, it's an absolutely horrible feeling. You know, we also are not letting family members back. And it goes against my principles of compassion and even efficiency, because so often that family member has the real story. Right. And that is moral distress. Moral distress occurs when one recognizes one's moral responsibility in a situation. So you evaluate the various courses of action and identify what your own beliefs are, the morally correct decision. But then you're prevented from following that through. Okay, so what about moral residue? So I'll give you the definition of what they call moral residue. So moral residue is the unmet obligation and commitment that occur when we have to make hard choices and prioritize one value over another. So in every decision, we have to choose between two competing obligations or commitment. And even when we make the best decision, all things considered, there are still obligations and commitments that are unmet. And there is a guilt or regret that we experience and not meeting all of these commitments and obligations. And that moral residue is the accumulation of unprocessed moral distress. It's talking about how we have to prioritize one value over another. So in the example that we we were talking about, we're prioritizing public health and keeping the families and public safe over 
our compassionate heart of wanting the the patient to you know not be so scared and be able to be with their family, especially if they're really sick and really scared. So these are two opposing values that we're having to evaluate against each other. And so, of course, we're making the best decision we can, which is to uphold public health. But even though we know that that is the best decision, some of our obligations are still unmet, which is to comfort the patient. Uh, So the guilt, I feel, is the residue when I can't reconcile competing priorities in my mind and my heart. Right, exactly. Okay, now what do we do with that moral residue that is inevitable in healthcare? How can we handle it? That's the first step to be able to deal with it. Really recognizing that the limitation is coming from the circumstance and letting ourselves off the hook a little bit. Even though, you know, we're still, you know, feel for the patient, let ourselves off the hook that we're not, we're doing this for the best of everyone. One of the things that uh, Roshi Joan talks about in her book is that moral distress and moral suffering um, can actually show itself in different ways, like in kind of a fight mode, like moral outrage or or moral anger or flight, trying to run away from the pain which is called moral apathy. So a lot of us have experienced this, I'm sure. I, I have definitely, even before this pandemic, that sometimes the, the pain is so painful that you see, you see that the patient is in so much pain that you just want to turn away. So I wanted to give an example of all of this from a story that I saw on um, social media. It's actually one of my, my friends, Dr. Mert Aragol, He works in New York City. He's an EM doc. And this post actually went a little bit viral the other day. And uh, he gave me the permission to read this story. So today, in the middle of all the madness, there was a 100-year-old Hasidic lady with COVID pneumonia. And I was desperate to send her home so she wouldn't die in the hospital. But she dropped her pressure, and we had to keep her. And then for an hour, her son kept calling me, to find out how she was, and I finally told him, look, she's 100 years old with pneumonia in both lungs. She's not good. She's not going to do well. And then he wanted to talk to her, and I said, you know, I'm too busy. And he called back 10 minutes later, and I said, listen, sir, your mom is not conscious anymore. And he said, that's okay. It's very important that I do a prayer for her. Could you hold the speaker to her ear? I had 10 other pressing things to do. But I stopped what I was doing out of respect for this 100-year-old woman and put the cell on speakerphone and told him to talk. He started the prayer of the dead and he began to cry and could barely get the words out. And I saw she had numbers tattooed on her arm. He was crying for his mother and praying the Shema, the verses of unity, and it woke up some emotion in me that I had forgotten about. Time slowed down, and I felt restored to myself. When he was done, he thanked me and blessed me, and I said thank you to him. 
what a powerful illustration of suffering and conflict and the power of that human connection. Yes, Winnie really believes that human connection is a tool we can all use to find peace in the midst of conflict. Yeah, so that's why I wanted to read this story to you. There is something about human connection that could be our resource. In this story of Dr. Aragol, it happened spontaneously, but it could have easily gone a different direction. And I know that it's gone a different direction for me in the past, especially when I'm really, really busy. And now everybody's really busy. But now more than ever is when we need this kind of human connection. If you look at again at the story, you can see that at first he was getting a bit annoyed and of the constant calling. And I've definitely been there. If you're trying in the ED, putting out fires after fires, you really just don't want to stop and put everything off and do this. You just want it to turn away, right? But if I look deeper into it, into myself, if I place myself in that situation, I know that there's part of me that wants to turn away because it's so painful, right? I feel ashamed that I can't do more. And I just don't want to face the pain of this old woman who's been through so much already. And so I want to just go do my stuff and do the next thing on my list. But that's exactly what moral suffering does that we talked about earlier, right? When you're feeling this moral suffering, one of the responses is to fight, feel anger maybe, moral outrage, or to turn away. And it's easy for us to turn away because we do have so much stuff to do. But you can see in this case, he, maybe because just who he is, so happened to stop. And it actually refreshed him. He said, time slowed down and I felt restored to myself. It woke up some emotion in me that I had forgotten about. And right now, especially, we need to really lean into this resource of human connection. Based on the, the work that I was mentioning of Roshi Jones, she also talks about moral injury. So if you remember the, in the story, if Dr. Arago had turned away and not feel that, that call, he would have probably felt bad. And this is something that's called moral injury. So the psychological wound resulting from witnessing or participating in a morally transgressive act is a toxic, festering mix of dread, guilt, and shame. So you can see that if he had turned away, he probably would have felt bad about it and felt more guilt. And then it would kind of continue that cycle of, of moral distress. But then the fact that he leaned into it took him out of that moral injury and into a moment of connection, even though he couldn't do everything that he wanted to do, which is half his son there. I really love how Wendy uses the human connection as her source of peace. I do too, but I wanted to know, how can we use this sense of connection, this compassion, in the middle of real-life dilemmas? So a lot of what I've been teaching is based on, again, Roshi Jones' work, She's been teaching clinicians for a long time. She's an anthropologist and also a, a Zen abbot. And she has a course called Grace and a course called Being with Dying. And it's all for clinicians. And she teaches a method called Grace based on her work that compassion is actually made of 
non-compassion elements, and these are things that you can train. So, for example, grace is a mnemonic. The G of grace stands for gathering your attention and grounding. You can imagine if you are divided, like we are always in the ED. If you have your attention on the the last patient, there is no way you can bring your attention into this interaction to be able to find that human connection and that compassion, right? So that's one of the the things that needs to be there in order for compassion to naturally arise. So G is for gathering your attention, so that all your attention is here in that moment. It doesn't take a lot of time. It's just more a focus of the mind to be here for this interaction without being distracted by anything else. The R of grace is remembering your intention. We've all been there. You know, a frequent flyer comes in. You already think that you know, okay, this is going to be bad or whatever. But if you before you go into your room, you remember, I'm here to serve this patient, no matter what. Even if they're going to yell at me, remembering that I'm here to serve and and whatever capacity that's needed in this situation. Sometimes when I teach、uh, physicians this, I have them remember all the way back to. Their med school essay. It might be very idealistic, but there is something there that made us join this career, this this profession. We did this because we wanted to help, and that kind of helping heart. If we can remember that before we have that interaction,、um, that really helps us really ground ourselves as well. And so then, the A of grace is two things. It stands for attunement, but it's first attuning to ourselves. And then attuning to the other person. It seems a little bit weird, but if you think about it in our moral dilemma example, if we're going in with this tension from the dilemma, it can make us go into moral suffering. Like we said, can we can go into anger? We can go into apathy. But if we recognize that first in ourselves, it makes it easier to really attune to the other person without judgment, without bias. And then see of grace is considering what will really serve. So would it serve for me right now to spend those two minutes for this son to be able to talk to this one hundred year old woman and pray, or would it be better if I go and you know help with that intubation? And coming from a place of non bias and not having a guilt and shame to it would help us make that decision better. And then the E of grace is actually doing that action, engaging, and then ending. I really love that framework, grace. Right? It's simple. It's practical. It's easy to remember. I liked it as well. But I wanted to really push Wendy and see how she would apply that in some of the real life situations many physicians are going through. So, for example. We mentioned before many physicians are concerned about getting sick themselves or bringing an infection home to their loved ones. How can we use this idea to make that intensely personal decision? I've even heard of providers living in hotels or even in tents in their own garage. How can Grace help make that decision? Yeah, I think based on a lot of people that I've talked to, a lot of that conflict actually comes from. A second layer of guilt, more than the conflict itself. I don't have any solutions, of course, because we are 
in a higher risk of getting the virus. And if we do live at home, there is a chance of bringing the virus back to our families. And of course, we do everything we can to not do that. And some people choose to live away from their families, and that's the right choice for them. And some people just can't because they have young children. But it seems that a lot of people don't really have a good way of thinking about it. There's no framework to talk about it. We just feel ashamed of even feeling that guilt. Like, for, So, for example, because we as physicians has taken the oath, we would even feel bad for thinking, oh, maybe I don't want to work. I'm not saying that you would quit, but even having that thought of uh, worrying about myself or worrying about my family seems shameful. And we need to really try to digest that and, and dissolve that because it's human to feel afraid of our mortality or bringing disease to our families. That's normal. But we are made to feel ashamed of it because of the way we think about our profession and our responsibilities. So that's what in spirituality, a lot of times we call the second arrow. It's not just the conflict itself, but the shame to even allow ourselves to recognize that we are afraid. We're almost not even allowed to be afraid for our own mortality. But of course we are. Why wouldn't we be, right? That's like the second arrow. I mean, I have no solution for the first arrow. I mean, we all have to make that decision for ourselves. But the second arrow is what we really don't need to add onto our own um, decisions. And if we take that away, we can actually really be better at making that decision for ourselves and taking ourselves off the hook of that kind of shame and pressure. Wow, I hadn't really thought about it in those terms, that there's more to my fear about bringing infection home, that maybe I'm embarrassed to even be worried about my own mortality. It kind of clouds my ability to think through other decisions. Exactly. So what are the next steps to deal with that fear? I want people to realize that it's okay to be afraid. It's okay to feel this tension. It's okay to feel afraid for our mortality. It's only human. The first step to dealing with that fear is to really recognize it in the tension within ourselves in every decision we make. And the way to do that is to use our somatic response. A lot of times we actually feel it in our bodies before we actually even really recognize it. So the practice is to really recognize what it feels like in our bodies when that happens. When we have a fear, Sometimes we just kind of push through it. We're really good at pushing through things, you know, um, as physicians, especially emergency physicians, we're really good at just pushing through. But if we can stop and just recognize that is there, doesn't mean that we have to stop what we're doing, but at least recognizing it and not bottling it up, having it build up, having it become more and more stressful and building up that tension within ourselves. That's the first step. And one of the ways to do it is to have some kind of practice, even maybe even five minutes, being able to sit with ourselves, being able to feel what we're feeling and not having to worry about what other people think or how we're performing. 
even five to 10 minutes is not a lot. Being able to just have some time to give to ourselves, to really feel where we are, that's, that's definitely the, the, the first few steps of being able to deal with this well. Another dilemma we are struggling with is the lack of PPE. Caregivers around the world are faced with a difficult decision to care without PPE. And this is super scary to me. I don't see only one right answer. So I wanted to hear how Wendy would approach that decision. That's a hard one because that's a decision that we all have to make for ourselves. But have you read that article, There's No Emergency in a Pandemic? I mean, I think the idea is that it could be a long haul. And the way that we can really serve the best we can is to keep ourselves healthy. Even though as an emergency physician, we just want to run into a code. That's how we're trained to do it. But in this case, if you do get sick, A, you might be taking up another ventilator. B, you have, might have families that you have to take care of. I'm not saying not to go to work or be afraid, but I would take that second to realize that the best way we can serve is to be there and be healthy. I think the important thing is to think about it before it happens. Just like in everything in emergency medicine, prepare, prepare, prepare. You know, give yourself some time to think about it. What is my decision and knowing that whatever decision you make there's going to be a price like we talked about because there are two values that are opposing each other so being clear that whatever decision you make there is going to be some kind of obligation that are met starting with that having that framework to work through it in your mind first and then, of course, like everything in emergency medicine, prepare, have, you know, all your PPEs on you. But being prepared in that way mentally, I think it's going to help you make that decision in that real time. It might be a different decision from what you make when you're sitting there. Because when you're seeing that patient in respiratory distress, it might be different. Pulse check. Moral residue is the guilt left over when you can't reconcile competing priorities. Like, I have to go to work and help during this crisis, but I'm worried about infecting my family. You go into work, but that guilt left over is the moral residue. Being able to define, understand, and talk about these issues is the first step. We know we have to make hard decisions, and we need to confront that and not just have a fight-or-flight response. Think through these intensely personal decisions beforehand— Use the mnemonic GRACE to remember how to think it through. G, gather your attention. Ground yourself. R, remember your intention. Why are we here? Why did we become providers in the first place? A, attunement to yourself and others. C, consider how we can best serve. And E, engage and end. Allow yourself the room to be human, to be scared and unsure. It is okay. Release the guilt of having to be superhuman, and then you can focus more on the hard decisions.
I really like the idea of preparing for this pandemic just like we do for a code by at least thinking through these questions beforehand so the moment will be easier. And I also like giving yourself permission to be human, to recognize that it's okay to be scared for your own health. And if we let go of some of those second arrows, Also, the human connection is everything for me. When we are at wit's end, it is challenging to show compassion when your own bucket is empty. But as Maya Angelou said, they may forget your name, but they will never forget how you made them feel. There is a lot to think about here. So please rate us and share this with your friends and follow us on social media at Impulse Podcast. Thank you to our colleagues in arms and especially to our departmental leadership, Nathan Cooperman and Jim Holmes, who have shown tireless leadership in a time of crisis. I am pretty sure they both moved into a back room in the ED because I have seen them there at all hours of the day without being on a shift. Yeah, And thank you to OM Audio Productions for helping us record this remotely. Also, a shout out to Kids Considered, our sister podcast hosted by Dr. Dean Blumberg who is the Chief of Pediatric Infectious Disease at UC Davis. They publish an evidence-based weekly coronavirus update that has been wildly popular. You can find that wherever you get your podcasts. And we have so much more to come in our pandemic mini-series. In the meantime, friends, we are thinking of you. We are grateful for whatever work you are doing and know that we are all in this together. See you next time and stay home! Stay home!